This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Suzanne Bates as she considers the God who sees and the God who hears. Suzanne Bates is Assistant Professor of Counseling at Covenant Theological Seminary. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2021 General Assembly. Let's listen as Suzanne Bates encourages us to consider the God who meets your heart. Um, I am a single mother of four beautiful adult children and three very lovely grandchildren. My kids are all out of St. Louis. I am born and raised St. Louisan, so that's a good thing. And um, especially because you're here in this great city, and I do think it's a great city. Um, But they're all gone, and they are not living here in this city. And I have a sister here with me today, Karen, in the audience. She's actually from Maryland. We are all born and raised in St. Louis, but it's interesting because all of my mother's children, um, and there are five of us, are all in different states. And then all of my children are in different states. So we're very spread out. However, this week, they're all in St. Louis. So when I go back home today, my mom will have come in. My sister, oldest sister, will have come in. And so it's going to be a wonderful time of being with family. Um, One of the things that I think is amazing about family is that we have an opportunity, and it doesn't happen all the time, to be known, right, to be seen, to be heard. Sometimes we're not. And sometimes that's really painful because we have people with whom we love that we have grown up with or maybe we've had tension with, but we long for something deep in the relationship with them. Um, And so what we want to be able to do is be able to be seen and heard and known by somebody somewhere, somehow. Um, Part of my putting this presentation together comes out of the Lord just really speaking to my heart about um, who he is in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of turmoil. I work at Covenant Theological Seminary, which some of you know that. I'm one of the professors of counseling there. In addition to working there as a, as a one of the professors, I am also a licensed professional counselor, and I see clients through my church. And you know, this has been a really hard time 
It's been a really trying time over the last year um, with people that have questions about the goodness of God. When you look at the news and you see the devastating reports of drive-by shootings and you see, you know, the calamity of things like, um, you know, the collapse of a condo in Florida, and we'll mention a few other things later. It makes you stop and say, God, are you God? When you have loved ones who have died, I have a friend and she told me that, I want to say probably 40 of her family members had COVID. That's a lot. When you're thinking about, Lord, where are you? Who are you? When you see kids dying of those kinds of things, it just doesn't feel right. When you think about your elderly parents and or your grandparents with whom you weren't able to sit on their last days, something doesn't feel right. And we can ask ourselves the question, God, are you a really good God? Do you actually see this? When you look at the injustice in the world, and you think, what is going on racially? What is going on politically? How can we feel like we're so divided after so many years? And yet we have many years to go to get this thing right in reconciliation. What happens when you see the hate crimes among Asian Americans? What happens to the heart? What happens to the soul? And I think we begin to weep, we begin to mourn, we begin to feel like, you know what? None of this stuff is going to matter to God. In fact, it's so much that maybe it's just too much for him to do anything about it. We actually, and Satan would love this, right? To move us to a place of believing that God is not the God that he says he is. He is not all-powerful. That these things get by him. I want you to do something for me, and I want you to take a minute with that index card in front of you. Hold on, my, this internet is doing something here. So I'm reading from one and PowerPoint from another. And I would like for you to um, write something on there for me about where do you need to know and feel as if, sorry about the typo, God sees you right now. Where do you need that in your life? And don't think that it has to be a big thing. Sometimes we do that, you know, these big situations with God. Sometimes it's actually in the really small little places, right, of our lives. And what would you need to convince you that he does see you, hear you, and care about you in your situation? And I just want you to take a minute and think about that right now. Part of writing that down is to help you have a context for yourself as you listen this afternoon. A context for yourself where you can think, am I asking these questions of God? Am I wondering if he's going to come through for me? In fact, am I shaking my fist at him? Because I don't see what this thing is called glory, goodness, this side of eternity. So take a minute for me and write that down, will you? And as you're thinking about that, maybe some of you want to share something, maybe not. Um, if you have a couple of you that would like to share, 
um, I want to invite you to, to maybe stand and offer that. It may not be recorded because I don't think we still have the handheld mic, but anybody want to share their thought? Go ahead. Thank you, Maria. It's good to see you, by the way. <laughs> Yes, working behind the scenes to draw a family member back to himself. So I'm going to tell you, I have quite a few friends who have um, young adult children that are really struggling with so many things today. And, and some of those have left the church where they grew up in the church years, served on the worship team for the youth, participated in ministries, and it's a hard thing when you see them move away from faith. And there are many things that fuel that, right? Things that they're hearing in the world. So this becomes important. Thank you. Anybody else want to share? That's a deep burden of the heart. Anybody just feel led to be courageous? We only have one really courageous person who sat on the front row. I mean, you know, and then Maria sharing, two courageous people. <laughs> well, let's go on. All right. So we all have a story, and I'm going to have to move quickly because I found out about the amount of time that I have. But think about whatever your story is right now around that situation and that circumstance. We all have something that we are going through in life where we're asking this question. Kay Arthur, one of my favorite authors, I better stay this way, she's one of my favorite authors and Bible study leaders, and she actually has a book that she has written called um, Lord, Where Are You When Bad Things Happen? But one of the things that she says that inspired her writing that book was this question that would come up oftentimes with people. If God really is who he says he is, how can he allow these things? Isn't that what we hear right now with our circumstances in this world? How can God allow it? God, how can there be natural disasters behind COVID? How do we have all the racial injustice going on and the systemic oppressive things that are happening and coming to the surface and then people still shooting people in the community? What? Isn't there enough stuff? Or the question, why doesn't he intervene if he is God? Maybe you've sat waiting. Why don't you do something, God? If you say that you are the God that you are, you should be able to move the situation so that we can know that this is truly the hand of God, the power of God to prevail. But you know what happens? We don't always get that. We don't always get a chance to see that. And so sometimes we actually put God on trial. And we're saying, you have to do something to convince me which is part of that second that comment I wanted you to write about. You have to do something to convince me that you're an okay God and worthy of me serving you. Now, I want you to know, for us who are believers, and I'm assuming that us here, that we are, many of us are, 
Sometimes we think, no, I never think that way because we feel like we have to have this faith front all the time. We can't allow ourselves to feel the brokenness of life. We can't allow ourselves to really see the brokenness of our sin and the pain of that. And we want to actually believe that we can just keep having enough faith to pass through, to get through it. And that is important. It is. But it's equally important to be able to know that there is a God who wants to hear the cry of your soul, that he sees you in your distress, he hears you in your distress, he meets you in your distress, not always the way you want him to, right? Not the God that we create, the God that he is, and that he can care for you. And then he invites us into a response. So I'm going to ask you to repeat a word after me right now. And it's called Ameniona. Can you say that word? Ameniona. That means he sees me. Can you say he sees me? So I'm going to share with you a story about the chorus, that, that refrain of a song, Aminiona. The song is Nitam Wimbiabwana. I will sing because he sees me, right? Because the Lord sees me. But what I'm going to ask you to do is when I read some verses off, I'm going to ask you to participate with me. This is kind of a call and response thing. I'm not a preacher or anything like that, but in the black church, we really like that. Just for the record. So when I read a verse, you're going to either say, Aminiona, say Aminiona. Or you're going to say, He sees me. You can choose whichever one you'd like to say because God can hear all those praises up. But mostly I want you to hear it for yourself. He sees you. He sees me as a reminder of these things. So I'm going to go through those things with you some. So why is it important for us to be seen? Why is that even necessary? Why is it important for us to have God see us? What happens when we don't feel that we are connected to people this way? What happens for you when you are feeling not seen? Where do you go? To whom do you turn? Your own vices? To some other God? To other people? And then get angry at them if they don't see you or hear you or understand you? You know, one of the things that I find so often in counseling is people really are afraid that they're going to be misunderstood, right? Misrepresented. That becomes such an issue for their heart. Even with me as a therapist, they want to make sure that I'm getting the point. I want to make sure, Suzanne, that you understand. And the question is, what happens when we feel that people don't? Is that attached to a lack of a reality that God does? What is that exactly? I like this podcast by Kurt Thompson, and on one, they're doing Being Known. It's a Being Known podcast with Kurt Thompson and Pepper Sweeney, and they're talking about consciousness, and they're talking about how um, when we don't really know what consciousness is, we don't actually understand it as a concept, but they also talk about how 
in that not knowing, there are still some things that we do have to look for. And being, how can we know ourselves? How can we know other people? How can we connect? How can we have an expression of seeing and hearing and understanding and relating to them if we're not cognizant of certain things. And so they used three terms that I, I actually liked. And while I was listening to them, I was thinking about something that the Lord, he put in my heart as they were talking. These are the three words that they use. Um, they, Kurt Thompson says, if we are to be loved, it's important to sense it, right? I do not, if I don't sense it, I will not work, I'm going to work, I'm sorry, to pretend that it's there. If I don't sense that love, we want an experiential awareness that we are loved, that somebody is connected to us and seeing us and hearing us, right? And in the absence of that, we work to accomplish it some kind of way, but it's superficial, but he uses, they were talking about three words that are particularly important as we are thinking about being known and the integration of the self, the understanding of the self, the understanding of others, the understanding of what it means to be in relationship with each other to even be known. One of those words was awake. And he talks about, you can be awake, your alarm clock goes off and you wake up right? You are awake. Your eyes are open. And you are aware that it is another day. So there has to be some level of awakeness. And I was thinking about this for the black community. And you know, we talk about being woke, right? You can be woke that there is systemic oppression in the world, that there is some racial injustice. You can be woke about the challenges that happen um, between the races in this nation. You can say, yeah, I know those things are going on, but you can stop right there. You can say, yeah, I'm aware. I know it's happening, right? Then they talk about this aspect of being alert, right? You're awake, you wake up, but you're not really connecting to the events of the day until you have your cup of coffee, <laughs> right? It's like, okay, I'm awake, but until I get that coffee, don't talk to me. Isn't that what some people say, right? Until I get that coffee, I cannot move about. I cannot interact with you or myself. I can't even think straight about what I'm going to do that day until I get that cup of coffee. The alertness comes into play. And once you are awake, you're saying, okay, my body's awake. You now are alert, and you can pay attention to things that are happening around you. You can even pay attention maybe more to how your body is feeling. All these different dynamics that come into the room. But this is the final A that is the most significant. He says, but what we have to really have, we can be aware, people are in the room, we're all in the room together, is we need attunement. We need to not just be awake, not just be alert, but to be attuned. Now, attunement is something that's really hard to achieve. Parents don't always achieve this with their children. Paying attention in a special way with an intent to understand and connect. With an intent to say, I can see you for who you are and let you touch me and I can touch you. I'm impacted by you and you are impacted by me. 
This attunement runs at a very, very deep level to hear clearly, to understand, and to identify with. That is a blessed place. When you get a friend that is attuned to you, you know that person that you say, you know, they just get me. Don't we love that? We want somebody to just get us. So it's not so much work. Now, it doesn't mean as while we're waiting for people to get us, it doesn't mean that we're making an attempt to get them. So there's the challenge, right? That that works on both sides. So we don't want to just be at work and we don't want to be aware, you know, just awake in the room that, yes, we're all here having this reality alertness of there are people sitting next to me, are people talking to me. But I want to listen in a way to them, interact with them in the way to get to know them better, to identify with them, maybe beyond something that I've had an opportunity to do before. And this is a beautiful thing about it. While I was listening to that podcast, thinking, oh, yeah, 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 like that, the counsel, yeah, yeah, the Lord kind of sweetly stepped in there, and he said, you know what, Suzanne? I'm always all of those all the time. Whoa. I am always awake. I am always alert. I am always attuned. Always. And I was like, wow, Lord, that is true. Who else can meet us like you can? I love Psalm 121. I will look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. And we read further that he never slumbers. What? That's phenomenal. Because we actually do slumber. We are not always awake. He says, I'm always alert. I'm paying attention to you. I'm aware of you. I formed you in your mother's womb in Psalm 139. I created you. You're a masterpiece. He is working. You see him interacting in that psalm with us in a very beautiful way, in in the creation of who we are. And then we see it again in the atonement. Like, where can I go from your presence? Right? He is always there. He knows you're rising up and you're lying down. You're going in and you're going out. Now, we say that, we know that, but look, when we hit life's challenges, we go, mm, I don't know about that God. You're saying you are that God, but do I actually sense it when I look at the calamity and the tragedy around me? The Afghanistan bombings, right? The climate change, the gender disparities that are out there and the conversations around all of that, right? The George Floyd murders and the convictions, things. People have so many different opinions about these things for what is justice, what is right, what is good. Human trafficking, right? We don't talk about that one a lot, but it happens so pre- it's so prevalent in this nation. And oftentimes the people that are trafficked, 80% of those may be immigrants and refugees. That's huge. So you may think, does God care about the immigrant and refugee? There's another wonderful book that I haven't finished reading that I'm enjoying so far, and it is actually called The God Who Sees. And it's um, by Karen Gonzalez. It's the God who sees a journey, an an immigrant's journey to belong, right? 
that sense of connecting with. This is huge. And she starts off her story talking about being the, the, um, the editor does, the person who's kind of reading, I think, the preface of it says, you know, they went a seminary class and they didn't even have a class that was centered on, focused on immigrants and refugees. It was like, oh, you can read about that if you want to. Rather than understanding it as a mandate in scripture to pay attention to the widow, the immigrant, the refugee, the orphan, the foreigner, and to understand the implications of that in being seen and why it's important. Because when they're not seen, how will they know that this God in heaven loves them? Lest we show them, lest we model it, lest we emulate him. So this is a huge factor. So we need to pay attention to sex trafficking. We need to pay attention to the neighbor. And so I think that that is something that encourages our hearts to, to do, that we want to step into it and to see. Then we have these other personal challenges, and some of them you've written on your card. Suffering at the hand of evil, maybe domestic violence, sexual abuse. Families unable to relate and communicate with each other around political issues. One of the things that I had to become awake to and become more alert to and to become attuned to is the cry of those who were really struggling that stood for social justice issues along the lines of the way the Bible talks about it, understood some aspects of the political unrest, and they couldn't go home and talk to their families. They couldn't have a relationship with them around the holidays because there would be such unrest in the home. And some told me things like, I'm actually glad because of COVID that I wasn't able to go. Wow. So striving, struggling to figure out what am I going to do with this part of me if I'm believing different from my family of origin? How am I going to relate to them? They're not understanding me. And I'm not understanding them. I'm not seen and known. This is a huge place. So I realized when I was talking to some, I thought, oh, Father, forgive me. Because while I'm thinking about the other issues, I don't have that issue as much. Because in my family, we're African American. We pretty much stand on the same grounds politically, social justice-wise. We believe Jesus. We love the word. We want to live out the gospel. Hallelujah. <laughs> but while I'm doing a hallelujah dance, praise God, I can talk about this with my family. I'm not paying attention to those who cannot, that are really deeply struggling. Miscarriages, waiting for marriage, right? Loss of loved ones, which we talked about already. There's a friend of mine, and her husband asked her a question very sweetly behind an incident of having um, his nephew in a car accident and then having to have his leg amputated, 30 years old. I don't know what happened with the accident, but in the midst of that, this is also the brother of another brother, son of his sister, who had committed suicide. And he turns to his wife and he says so eloquently, you know, God says he only gives us what we can bear. Do you think he forgot? 
Maybe that's you. Do you think he forgot? So here in this verse, and you don't have to say I'm in or not yet after these, right? But Isaiah 40 says, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens who created all these. He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them forth each of them by name. What kind of paying attention to is that? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. There's a song I love by Babby Mason, and it's called What Can Separate You. She's talking about what can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Of course, we know that from Romans. Nothing can separate us, neither death, nor pain, nor sorrow. None of those things. It's a wonderful, wonderful song if you've never heard it. But she starts it off by saying that the Lord sees every star in the sky, and he remembers where each one is placed. What? Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. He is all around us, seeing all these things. So I'm going to read some verses in a minute, but I'm going to say these couple of slides, and then I want you to be ready to say, Amen na." Say, Amen na." Or he sees me. Oh, you guys, I really find it quite interesting that when we do the English, you're softer than when you're doing the Swahili. Have you noticed? You're like, Amenio-na, he sees me. What is going on? Amenio-na is removed from you because it's in Swahili. He sees me is a confession. What is happening for you that you can take that in? You cannot. Hmm. Well, I won't be a counselor. I'm just wondering. (laughs) So in Genesis, we read, God sees the wickedness of man in the earth. We see that he sees Hagar. This is, of course, where we first see him saying this. You are the God who sees me. She was a foreigner, right? I mean, she had to flee at one point, and we see this in Genesis 21. He sees her on two accounts, when she runs away and then when she's put away. And he meets her heart. She's in great distress. I might as well just lay down and die. One with the baby in the womb, and the latter when he's much older and says, I'm just going to watch him die. And in both cases, he sees her and he meets her. We see the same with Sarah and Abraham and King Abimelech. (coughs) I mean, come on. Abraham says, be, you know, you're my sister girl. (laughs) When we go in, be my sister. Now, what do you think Sarah was thinking? I want to honor my husband. I do want to save his life. But we're going to go in on this lie. This man may try to have his way with me. Excuse me. He may try to have his way with me. I'm vulnerable. I, (coughs) excuse me. I'm in a risk position, right? And while she is in that position, she has to figure out how to make life work. Do you think she wondered if God was seeing what was happening and what he thought about that? Do you think Abraham was like, well, you know, God, I know I made this little lie. I know we kind of did this little arrangement. What's going on here? Am I good? The funny thing is God does not ridicule him. And we see that God sees the king too. Because he actually could have let the king go into Sarah. But he even says to him, I didn't allow it. I know you had a clear conscience. 
but put them away lest you have calamity come upon you. What is that? God is looking at each situation, each person, and speaking right into it. So he sees all these things. He sees you in the womb. He sees you as you come forth. He sees your nature, your brokenness, your desires, your weakness. Abraham was weak. He was afraid. He sees your strength, your aching heart, your anxious heart. He sees all of it, your sin. And he sees the injustice. So I want to read these verses to you. (coughs) Excuse me. That are going to remind us of what he sees. And who he sees. And you're going to repeat those words, Amini Ona. Let me hear you say it. Or, what's the other one? (laughs) He sees me. Okay, I'm going to read from my computer over here, but I need to stay near the mic. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come to me, and I have seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Okay. The Lord will vindicate his people and relent concerning his servants when he sees their strength is gone and no one is left, slave or free. You, Lord, took up my case. You redeemed my life. Do I have those up there for you? There we go. You redeemed my life. Lord, you have seen the wrong done to me. Uphold my cause. You have seen the depth of their vengeance. All their plots against me. Amen. That's lamentation. Second Samuel 22. <clears throat> but thine eyes are upon the hearty that thou mayest bring them down. Second Chronicles 16. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. Job 11. Surely he recognizes deceivers, and when he sees evil, does he not take note? Job 28. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. I should make you say he sees me there. Let me hear you say he sees me. I'm going to read that one again. And then I want you to say he sees me. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Amen. Job 34. His eyes are on the ways of mortals. He sees their every step. Psalm 11. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try, the children of men. Psalm 14. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Psalm 14, um, 33. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. Psalm 34. 
The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. Psalm 138. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Psalm 139. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being imperfect. Amen. Let's read this one from Isaiah 29. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees me? Who will know? Yes, right? Sometimes we want to forget that one. Jeremiah 32. Great in counsel and mighty in work, for thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the Son of Men, to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Amos 9. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom. Oh, man, you guys are getting softer and softer. What's happening out there? You're like, should we keep this going? It's hard to keep confessing something over yourself, isn't it? It really is, right? But this is something that we actually need to practice doing, saying, he sees me. Matthew 6, and I'm going to read, this is a long one, 6, 3 to 6 and 16 to 18, but just listen. Because this is kind of our response to him. When we're calling ourselves faith field, sometimes we want to be seen by others and forget that our father who sees us in secret need only us be with him in it and not other people for the wrong reasons and purposes. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. He sees me. So he understands and comprehends all of human life. He also hears all things too. And so we want to look at a couple of verses that point us to that aspect of who God is in his hearing us. Because we don't want to forget that God is interacting at every level. Remember, he's awake, he's alert, and he is attuned. Psalm 10, 17, you, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. You can tell that I made two columns there, can't you, by the words? <laughs> 
But I love that. The Lord strengthens our hearts. Psalm 34, again, the eyes of the Lord on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them and he delivers them from all their troubles. And in Psalm 38, Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord, my God. Now, I know we're talking about this aspect of feeling like in the midst of turmoil and chaos, trouble, disappointment, disillusionment, despair, that God doesn't see or hear. But you understand when we're looking at these passages, it's clear, is it not? That he is seeing, that he is hearing, that he is knowing. Lamentation says this, I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to me and my cry for relief. You came near when I called you, and you said, do not fear. I mean, maybe that's you today. Maybe you're standing in a fearful position in this place of believing that God is not seeing John 5 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that what we have, we have asked of him. There is something about this that I know, I know it doesn't seem like it helps when you're feeling removed from God. But you understand one of the things that God wants to encourage our hearts in is this. We do feel removed from him, sometimes by our choosing, sometimes because we don't quite understand the verses and the words and the scriptures. We don't necessarily know him. Sometimes because the enemy is just banging on our head that God is not a good God. And sometimes when we give into that, we can move away from the word of God, which is true, about these things. And so we have to just start preaching them to ourselves. God knows you're wrestling. He is not angry with you for the wrestle. Whether it's your own doing whether it's something imposed on you, whether it's the enemy, he's not angry about that. But he does say to your heart, you can still choose where you will go. You can still choose what you will believe. He doesn't make us puppets. He doesn't make us have to follow him. He invites repeatedly all through the scriptures when we read these accounts. These are invitations to come, to draw near. So depending on your view, you may say, I'm going in a different direction. You may be saying, Lord, what do you even say about me when you look at me? Have you ever asked that question? I have. I'm a single woman, so sometimes I have to ask the Lord, actually, what do you see? Sometimes I'll even ask him, okay, I'm being vulnerable. Don't take this anywhere else. But I might even ask him, I need to know how the men see me right now. Because I'm not in that context. Sometimes I just need to know. Do you know he answers? One time he answered me and I flippantly blew it off. He said, now you know you just prayed that prayer about five minutes ago. I was like, oh my gosh. He said, do not rebuke the messenger. Because I was like, that's just that old man. 
<laughs> he was a cute little old man, but I was like, he's still an old man, you know. <laughs> the Lord was like, that's not what you asked me about, though. You asked me how you're seeing. <laughs> Who am I to you, God? Don't we want to know that? What in me do you find praiseworthy? These are questions that get at the heart of the essence of who we are in being seen and known. He tells us that we are the apple of his eye, but we may not always believe that or hold on to that. In fact, sometimes we say, I don't feel it. But he says, I want to meet your heart. This verse in 138, Psalm 138, is a sweet one, right? The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. That sense of he will perfect the things that concern you. My sister reminded me of that one the other night. That's my sister Karen over there, by the way. She's my bestie. <laughs> so do you understand? Oh. <laughs> so it was really good for her to say that. Like, yes. What happens to that verse, though, in calamity and trouble? Does it make it less true? Or does it mean that we are not as aware, awake, alert, and attuned to God in it? We know from Lamentations 3 that the Lord hears, sees, and comforts. We also know this is a great passage where, you know, we read, Great is thy faithfulness in the midst of crying out to God. We know in John here, 14, that he sends a helper. He's thinking about us constantly. We see, we saw him all through the Old Testament scriptures, now in the New. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Not maybe, not might, not if you get your act together, not when everything gets out right in the house, when all the finances are in order or the rooms are clean and the beds are made. No, not if you treat all your children perfectly, not if you say all the right things to your boss and your colleagues and your coworkers. No, not even in the face of your most horrible, blatant sin. He says, I will come. But remember, he always extends the invitation. Revelation 3 tells us that, that he stands at the door and knocks. Malachi is a book where people were greatly distressed and crying out to God, feeling like this God of the promise was not the God of the promise. They were disillusioned, they were discouraged. But you know, the Lord beautifully begins with them and says something wonderful. He says, you know what? I love you. He says, I love you. That's how it opens. What in the world? He is professing a love and a covenantal relationship. And you know what their response is? As you read further, they're like, how, how do you love us? How are you showing us you love us? What? <laughs> You have robbed me. How have we robbed you? What? That sense of God, we know better than you. In fact, we haven't seen all this goodness stuff. We've had economic stuff come upon us as a calamity. We've had every kind of situation come upon us. What are you talking about? You are not that God. 
but he's saying that he is. I love you. And he gives a beautiful promise to them in Malachi 3, right, of doing something very, very redemptive. I want to bless you. We read of the Savior. I want to do something amazing, and I have five minutes. So what is our response? And I want to read to you this story, and I want you to see these words as I'm reading the story to you. And I'm going to have to pull it up over here. Let me make sure I have it here. I might have to just tell you for time. Oh, but the words are so good. Let me think of what I want to do. Hold on. So um, our response should be, great is the faithfulness of the Lord. We should read Lamentations 3 and meditate on that. We should look at Daniel 3.18 that although um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fiery furnace, they understood something about who God was to have them go through that fire, that they would still not be harmed. And even if they had been, they're saying, God, you're still good. And then Steve's story, and I want you to see these words. These are the words to the other part of the song. So I asked a friend of mine to send to me in writing his story. Let me see if I have it pulled up here. I know I do over here, but I want you to see those words. And I asked him to send me this story that I've known for a long time, but it's a beautiful testament of his experience in Congo, the, um, the Democratic Republic of Congo. I've been there too, but on this particular time, he went and I was not with his group. But when he first heard the words to this song, and in his first trip there, he was greatly disillusioned and struggling with God. Having gone across the waters to do this work of God, you know what we do, right? God, I'm doing your work. I'm going to glorify you. Look at what I'm doing. And then we get there, and it's a little bit challenging, and we're like, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Are you really being the God that I need you to be in this situation? So he goes over there, and he is all disillusioned because it's hot. He couldn't get money out of a bank. I'm just going to tell you. And by the Lord's grace, he'll help me with the words. He told me I tell stories better than him anyway, so maybe this is what God wanted. But he was trying to get a deposit of money. You know, doing money exchange is difficult. And at the bank there, they were trying to get like $12,000 to help the churches and the orphanages. Nothing was working out. A 10-minute ride ended up being a four-hour ride. I know about that personally. It's very challenging. And he wasn't able to get to the next destination. And so he said, it's hot. There's no air in the vehicle. Then they said, well, we're going to go right to the church where we're going to have a word preached and people will meet him. They go to the church and guess what? The church is outside in between two other little structures. It's just a tent. There's no air conditioning. There's nothing. He's swatting and, you know, trying to get rid of all the flies because he's hot. He's sweaty. The praise band is getting ready for the worship. They're you know, blazing and blaring and singing loudly, of course, in a different language. So he's just going, what's going on? What's going on? And he's feeling this sense of, God, you are not seeing us. You're not hearing us. You're not present here. You're not meeting us. And guess what? We're trying to do this for you. What's happening? And his, that was his attitude, too. And he is kind of a little cocky person like that. He's, he's funny. But he ended up saying he looked out 
into the field. And, you know, women were cooking over an open fire. He saw some women cooking, and then he saw another woman in a wheelchair, in the mud, nothing around. And I don't know if, you know, the poverty level in the Democratic Republic of Congo is so high. Unemployment is like 95%, or at that time it was, right? And she's sitting there. It's hot. The sun is kind of coming down. He looks for a minute to get his eyes wide, and he sees this person in a wheelchair with their hands lifted, and he had not even stopped to listen to the words of the song because he was too busy focusing on all the destructiveness, all the wrong things, all the bad, all the chaos, all the disappointment. And these women started dancing and praising the Lord and raising their hands. And then he became attuned. He started paying attention. He started looking at the environment around him and the beauty around him. And seeing these women dancing before the Lord in great poverty, in great devastation in that country, and praising him in a wheelchair in the mud. And he forgot about the flies. And he forgot about the bank. And he forgot about the heat in the van on the way and the four-hour ride. Because all he could do is do the same thing, is to say, I will sing for the Lord because he sees me. I will jump for the Lord because he sees me. The chorus rang out. I will dance for the Lord because he sees me. I will glorify the Lord because he sees me. I will tell about the Lord because he sees me. Not because everything is made right. I will bless the Lord because he sees me. The Lord God, your God, he sees you. He hears you. He is meeting your heart even in the midst of when you think he is not because he is awake and alert and attuned to you. You cannot depart from him. Not even in your rebellion. When you say, I will not go to church today. I will not sing praise songs today. I will not clap my hands. I will not shout to the Lord. I will not tell of his goodness. He says, I still see you, hear you. I care about you. I love you. Let this be a testament for all of us to say, Amini Ona. Amini Ona. He sees me. In Jesus' name. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting PCAGA.org.
Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces. Gifts and Graces.